0: And so today, last week, we talked about what that transformation could be. The Bible says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Not whom who learns to be better or do better or live better, because the truth be told, if you're just doing this thing out of walks or works, it's not gonna last long before you encounter a situation where you're gonna find yourself failing over and over again because it's not done by might, the Bible says. It's not done by power, the Bible said, but it's done by my spirit, saith the Lord. If Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. You may can quit doing something, quit feeling a certain way, but all that's going to do is reattach your life to doing something else or feeling a different way. And God doesn't want you to just go from victimhood to victimhood to victimhood. He wants you free. And so we are on a progression. I want to be free. I want to wake up and have life, and the Bible says, life more abundantly. So last week we talked about the um, the process of the transformation. That, you know, the Bible says that Jacob struggled with God. And most people that get a desire to be free, they... They, there's been times they struggle with God. They want to do it God's way. But it's like Paul said, that thing I don't want to do, I do. And that thing I do want to do, I don't. And he was in this struggle with God. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob and said, you have struggled with God. And then it said that you have struggled with man. matter, Really, it says it this, we realize it says, because you have struggled with God. And because you have struggled with me. I man, there have been times where I struggled trying to be what people wanted me to be and do. I mean, how many times have you been through something and people say, you just need to get over it? You ever heard that? And you struggle with, what do you mean just get over it? You know what I'm saying? And then you try to actually get over it. You try to actually do what they're telling you to do. But the truth is, i tell you a the secret, they didn't get over whatever they went through. Nobody's ever gotten over anything unless... The son, Jesus, got them through it. And that's what God does in Carol's Moments. So last week it says, you have wrestled with God. Because you have wrestled with God and because you have wrestled with men, it says, you have prevailed. Your name is no longer Jacob, but it is Israel. There was a transformation that God did in his life that Jacob didn't have to try to fake anymore, didn't try to have to be anymore, didn't try to put effort. In. God did this work for him. I'm here to tell you, God will do this thing for you. I love it on our Wednesday night discipleship programs, our discipleship track. I do the online course, and we're teaching um, the 49 commandments of Christ. And the, what got us going into it was this. Peter, who was a messed up cat. If you read his story in his life, he cussed. He cussed little girls. Uh, he cut ears off. You know, he had anger issues. He um, acted like the devil. The Bible says, Jesus called him, and get behind me. I mean, this dude had issues. And he didn't never deny his issues. He knew he was failing. And the Bible says that when Jesus first encountered him, he said, we have toiled all night and we're still failing. We've, done, we've worked as hard as we can work and we're still coming up empty. And Jesus said this, if you'll follow me, I will make you. He didn't say if you follow me, you will eventually become. He didn't say if you follow me, you will eventually mature. didn't follow me, you'll eventually become strong enough. He said if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Into something that you can't do. You can't even catch a fish. I'm about to turn you into something that you're going to catch men. They had no idea what that concept was. But... He was willing to be something different than what he would have been in his whole life. And so he had a Kairos moment. And I believe there's one for you. So last week we talked about that transformation. This week I'm going to start telling. We're going to go into another Kairos moment story. I have another character out of the Bible. And so you can maybe understand what Kairos moments are. And then next week we're doing a different type service. We have about five or six people in our church that have had Kairos moments, and they're going to come up and share their moment. How God transformed them. I'm so excited about that because the Bible says this. How do we destroy the works of the devil? By not loving our own lives unto death. In other words, you're not. It ain't all about you. And I got to be honest, get up here and share your Kairos moment. Proves you're you've been set free because it's hard to get up here and tell somebody what you were. But if all you were is that, but then tell them what God Bible says, by also the word of our testimony, them telling and sharing what God did for them. And I said, I'm at all because you see what people are and you think, man, if I could just be what they are. But then if you knew how they got there, nobody got there alone. It was by God touching their life in Cairo's moments. And so that's what we're going to do next week. And then the following weeks, every week, we're going to take there. They call it 12 steps to freedom or they're calling it, you know, walking into freedom or 12 steps of Kairos, 12 areas. We're going to go over the 12 areas that God wants to touch and make you whole in for the following weeks. We may get one done a week. We may get three done a week, but we're going to walk through each one because the truth is this, whether you know it or not, uh, you're messed up. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're judging me. No, I'm quoting a scripture. It says, for all have sinned. But that's not just saying, i ain't talking about your sin. It says, but falling short of the glory of God. Meaning this. None of us are able to be what God wants us to be. So we're all messed up and it's not your fault. We talked about that last week. But you know what is your fault? If you stay that way. You know, if you stay that way, like Jacob, I told him we got I always thought this dude was being influenced by his mama, but he was seventy six when that happened. At some point you gotta quit blaming mom, dad, brother, sister, ex husband, stop blaming boss, and you gotta take responsibility for you know what? They may have done that, but I'm sick and tired of being this way. And get ready to go into what God has for you. So we're on a journey to freedom. And so I'm excited. Today is the next step is you'll never get to be free if you don't know who you are. And the problem with this, one of the greatest, biggest crimes in America, and it's not just in America, it's actually around the world. And it's not just around the world. It's actually in a spiritual battle, too, is an identity theft. You know, I don't have. Has anyone ever had their identity stolen by somebody? Man, you're talking about frustrating. This, my wife's identity got stolen, and the sad thing about it, it was, it was her mother that stole it. You're talking about very frustrating when somebody that's supposed to protect you. Does, and naturally, when you talk about identity theft, it's when somebody takes your social security number, your name, and represents themselves as you. And they go open credit cards in your name. And they go, you know, get um, a bank uh, They get, um, you know, they go open like electric bill stuff in your name. And so all along, while you're trying to live your life, you have no idea something behind you is destroying your future. That's what identity theft is. And when Jennifer found out that the credit she'd been working on building for years is gone. Because somebody else that was supposed to protect her and loved her stepped into her life and destroyed her future that way by stealing her identity. And it took a long time for her to get that corrected and get it right. But it started with an acknowledgement that, yes, my identity's been stolen. And recognizing that now, because it has been, i got to do something about it. There's a, now, there's, there's people that have lost their identity because... It's been stolen. There's other people that have lost their identity because they've been attacked. And there's a story about a man named Benjamin Kyle. And this happened on August 31st, 2004. His name was Benjamin Kyle. It says um, he was found at 5 a.m. behind a Burger King in Georgia by the police. And he was naked. He'd been beat up and he was unconscious. So they picked him up, they took him to the hospital. And when he came to in the hospital, he had complete amnesia. Did not know who he was, where he'd come from, did not know anything about where he'd been or what. He, it was a complete blank slate from the moment he woke up in the hospital. And so for months, they kept trying to put out missing, checking the missing persons uh, database. No one was coming forward to claim him. And so for months, he was just a nobody. Then the nurse that had taken care of him felt sorry for him moved him into her house while they tried to get him reassigned, but he couldn't get a job because he had no ID. They fingerprinted him and ran him through the databases. There was no record of his fingerprints in any database. They couldn't determine who he was that way. They um, kept trying to find any way, any to figure out who this guy was or where he'd come from. He even went on the Dr. Phil show. Dr. Phil brought him on the show and tried to tell his story to try to find out who he was. So for eight years, they could not find anything about him. Dr. Phil actually hired a private investigator to go out and try to figure out who this guy was. And for eight years, nothing. And the guy could remember absolutely nothing. And it was in 2015 that they actually did a genetic detective test you know started doing the gene and they found a family that he was connected to and his name was not even benjamin cow it was william Burgess powell and he had a whole family and had a whole life but an attack someone had uh, jumped on him and attacked him and in a moment who he was everything he spent his life building was gone and so After 20 years, he finally got a social security number back and he got to begin to get a future again. Man, that's a tragic story. How would you like it if you opened your eyes tomorrow and everything you knew about you and where you came from was gone? In some areas, it would be good in my life, I think. But those are the areas, though, that actually I have been attacked in. And the truth is, those are the areas that, I have lost my identity and it has been taken. I've just been lost. So today we're going to jump into the story of a man in the Bible that fits this description. And we find his life, him going forward and living a life that was so much lower than what God had ever intended for him to live simply because he had an identity theft problem at work in his life. We're going to start in Judges chapter 6, and it's going to jump to verse 11. Now, I'm going to read the whole thing. Bear with me, all right? And uh, then I'll come back down and break it down the best I can, if that's okay. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah. See, we thought that was a TV show. It was actually way back then. All right? When, which belonged to Josiah of abed, abed- Y'all can say how he want to. All right. While well, his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor." And Gideon said to him, "O oh Lord, if you, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us?" And where are all his miracles, which our forefathers have told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go, into, go, in, this, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, who have I not sent, have I not sent you. He said, So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And, then those, and he said to them, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talks to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said to him, I will wait until you come back. And now it came to pass that night that the Lord said to him, Take your father... uh, Did I skip something? Oh, let me turn around and read back there. I've lost the page. So Gideon went and prepared the young goat, an unleavened bread, from from an ephah of flour, and meat he had poured into a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the tear tree and presented it to them. It says, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put out, his, put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire arose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the lord departed out of his sight now gideon perceived that he was the angel of the lord said so angel of the lord so gideon said alas o lord god for i have seen the angel of the lord face to face and then the lord said to him peace be with you do not fear you shall not die so gideon built an altar there to the lord and called it the lord is peace to this day, it is still in Oprah of the Esauites, whatever you'll call that. Keep going. We'll keep it. And now it came to pass the same night that the Lord had taken him. Uh, take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven-year-old, and tear down the altar of Baal in your father's house, and cut them down. Cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock, and in, in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull, and offering and burnt sacrifice with the wood of an image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared of his father's household and the men of the city too, much to do it by day, he did it by night. Let's keep going. Is that it? Okay. All right, will going stop right there. <laughs> All right. Let me. You ready to break this down? I had to tell you the whole story because I don't know how far we're going to get into this story, but there's a lot in this story. We find a young guy here living a life as an Israelite chosen people. And he knew he was a chosen people because if you remember back into the conversation, he said, didn't you deliver our forefathers from Egypt? So this wasn't a guy that that wasn't aware of, of who God was. He'd heard from his family. He'd heard his whole life who God was. And he knew that God had called his people out. Of slavery. Of Egypt. And put them in a promised land. And caused them to live a life that. Like it said here. Called the God of called this place the Lord of peace. I want you to know something. God wants you to have a good. And quiet and peaceable life. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be fulfilled. But the problem with. The situation is this. A lot of us find ourselves just like Gideon did here. Man, he shows up on the planet. He shows up knowing that God has a call and a purpose on his life. But somehow, even though he knew that he was part of God's chosen people, he had allowed the enemy, his circumstance, voices spoken over him... Even family situations to come in, enter into his life in a way to steal his identity. Because we see in this story two very contrasting people. We see, number one, Gideon living a life lower than what God expected for him to live because it shows up, number one, and it says that he was crushing grain in a wine press let me break that down for you. If uh, you don't think that's a big deal. Number one, that was women's work. That's not a male sovereignist remark. all right? But in those days, the men were to go out in the field and work the field and bring the grain into the storehouses. And the women would take the wheat and the grains and turn them into flour. It was a I don't know about you. You know, a lot of people think it's... Male. It takes me and my wife both doing our part at my house to make my house work. All right? And uh, just to let you know, I'm not male it. My job, Jennifer's got a list of her jobs in her mind. she got a list of my jobs in her mind. And my job is, Jennifer, when we got married, she says, Cricket, I don't do dishes. I said, that's no problem. I'll take care of it. All right? I do that. All right? And that uh, said that when, right before we got married. Because if you're going to lay those kind of rules, you better do it before you get married when you're in that state because you'll agree to anything at that point. But then as we go forward, I love to cook. It's my personality. I cook. I cook every meal at our family from breakfast to lunch to dinners. If I'm in town, if I'm not there, they eat out. All right. But if I am there, I love to cook. And so it's not a male chauvinist thing I'm saying here. What I'm saying is this, though. Men would go out and work in the field, bring it in and do women's job. I don't know why Gideon was doing this. I don't know if his father looked at him and didn't think he was manly enough to do men work. I don't know if he was too little, too small. I don't know if he was too weak. I know this. The Bible says he was afraid. I know he was a coward. And Bible says that the enemy that had come against them had moved him into a place that, where instead of living what you would call a normal life, the enemy now, with the fear of the enemy coming against him, he put himself into a place where the enemy maybe he wouldn't be noticed as much. And so he was doing what you would call a job beneath his status or his position. Then we find him doing something a little bit different. We find him a little bit odder. He was doing this job in a place you would never do it. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Wheat threshing consisted of smashing the grain and then picking it up and dropping it and letting it fall so the wind could blow through and blow away the shaft. Now, that was usually done up on a hill or in a place where wind was frequently there. He was doing it in a wine press, which is a hole in the ground that they would put the fruit in and people would get into that hole and smash. So he found himself doing a job that even culturally wasn't for him. It's kind of like when you read in the... um, when you read in the um, New Testament and we tell the story of the prodigal son, you guys know this story? You know, this is the same context because, you know, that's such a sad thing to call him the prodigal son because that was only a couple weeks of his life. But yet we've titled him that. The prodigal son found himself eating and feeding pigs. And so... Even after God redeemed him, thousands of years later, we still tag him with an identity of failure. Because that's how the enemy works. And so, here we find Gideon doing a job that, you know, even genderly speaking, would have been identity stealing. And doing it in a place... That would virtually be impossible to do because the wind didn't blow very well in a hole. And so his outcome could not have been that good. But it was obviously doing it enough to be able to get by or enough to just survive. He was living a life just surviving and just getting enough to get by. And the Bible clearly says why. Because the attack of the enemy that had come against him. You need to understand Gideon is no different than me and you. The enemy has been coming against me and you since the day we were born. And he's been trying to convince us that we are not capable. We are not worthy. We are not powerful enough. We are not good enough. We are not able enough to be what we all know God has called us to be. We all know the Bible says God puts eternity in each man's heart. And you sit down with somebody for very long, and you go back to talking about 12, 13, 14-year-olds in their life, and, man, they knew they were different. They knew they were special. They knew they were meant for something. They knew they were put here. And think about it: as you talk to them again at 18, 19, or 20, and they've already started deciding that there's lower levels of life that they can now maybe reach or achieve, but that ceiling has come way down from where it was. By attacks of the enemy, whether it be words that were spoken over you by parents, whether it be, you know, situations that you walked through that the enemy made you perceive wrongly. Like here, he had a perception problem. He thought the enemy that was coming against him was stronger than what the people that he was a part of. I'm here to tell you this, though, if that's what the enemy lies to you on. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The enemy is no respecter of people. He lies and destroys and goes after every possible way and every possible person he can. So Gideon here now, we find a guy living a life lower, a level lower than what he was born or destined to do. And his life at this point was a life of worry, fear. He was constantly having to look over his shoulder because it says he was in the hole because of the enemy. He was constantly, you know, feeling defeated because he couldn't pick up very much grain out of that, so he was probably barely getting by with his family. And then we have to add on why all of that. Because he brought up this statement. I am of the uh, smallest tribe of the children of Israel. They're the smallest tribe, and I'm of the smallest family of that tribe. So now the enemy really goes after his identity and we start seeing on the inside of him what's going on. Well, let me answer the question of what identity is, if that's okay. All right, let me pull up my actual definition. Definition of identity is the way a person identifies and thought patterns that they formulate and actions that they begin to emulate that have been impacted by a variety of factors. Like society? And see, a lot of us have no idea that every time we watch TV, the devil is using what we're watching in society to keep us from trying to be what God's created us to be. That's why every magazine has got healthy, unhealthy people on the front of it. And we look at that and think that's what we need to be. And the enemy tells us you can't be anything unless you're like that. And then so we look in a mirror and think I'm too big. Or we look in a mirror and think I'm too small. We look into a mirror and think I'm too ugly. We look in a mirror and think I'm too, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever thought I'm too attractive. But he's never lied to me on that one. But I know there are people he has lied to that way. All right, um, but he uses society. And right now we're in a time in society is destroying people more than ever. Can I just make a politically society statement? God made male and female. There was no binary gender in that whole creation series. What a lie of the enemy. Trying to take away identities of God trying to put in. Then, all right, so society. Then factors along with family. All right, people's identities are built from the families they come through. That's why... We get the last name of the family you're born into. And, you know, that's supposed to be a good thing. But the problem is the devil knew that God was going to use family to help you get your identity. But so he went so hard at breaking the family. We live in a society now, in a time now, that you hardly ever see a family that's not broken. The new definition of family is totally different than what it was in the 20s. We very seldom have a family now that knows what it's like to have a mother and a father without another personality being put into the mix somewhere. Not having, I, I was talking to a friend, a person this morning about, man, I know the battle you're under because, see, these are very, this is a very godly family, but before they were saved, they, there was divorce in the families, and now they've got these third parties that are influencing children in their life that don't don't serve the Lord and don't believe in God. And so the whole identity of these children now are out of God's plan because the enemies come after them through the area of the family and begin to try to make them identify with brokenness there. Loved ones, you know, the enemy will, will use our loved ones. I shared with you last week, my mom loves me. I'm telling you, I'm her favorite. I am. She tells me that all time. So if my brothers and sisters are watching this. Yeah, I am Mama's favorite. And but there was, but my mom grew up at a point where, um, when she came to the knowledge of Christ and got saved, man, she had some years of out there, and so it took her a long time to get her mouth right. And so you know, I suffer from ADD, ADHD, and I'm dyslexic. I have all these learning disabilities, and I was in special ed and when I was in public schools till I came out of public schools. And so the enemy was already using everything against me to make me think I'm less than what God made me. And then my mother would get upset and her word was stupid idiot. So do you know what would stick to me? Another attack of the enemy. Then, ethnicity. Now, I had to Google this one because the next one is, um, race and culture which I thought that, that's what that was. So I had to Google it to find out what this was. like, what? I thought ethnicity was race and culture but it's not. It's gender and class. Man, the enemy is attacking people with gender because what he'll do is take desires and distort them and make them think that, man, I may have been born a biological woman but have all the desires of a man and so... They completely lose their identity, and so they start taking labels. And then class, born rich, born poor, born on this side of track. That, the enemy uses all of these to try to form our identity. Location. You know, there were years when I was traveling that they would invite us to go up north, and I would say, I'm not going up north because of my accent. People think I'm, I'm uh, you know, uh, stupid up there. So I wouldn't go north states to minister because of an identity problem that, my location gave me. You know, I drove through uh, Fordyce last night with Wade and Misty. And I saw that sign, uh, not for Kingsland. Kingsland said, birthplace of Johnny Cash. I'm here to say, it don't matter where you come from. God can make you something no matter where you go. If you've ever been through Kingsland, Jesus was from Nazareth. And they said, can anything good ever come out of Nazareth? But because we're born in South Arkansas, a lot of times we think it's okay to be like a South Arkansan. And I want you to know something. Your identity can't be attached. That's what the world says identity is. Then it's opportunities. They make their, the enemy wants you to attach your identity to opportunities you have. That's why you ask 90% of men. Can I try something on you? Can I, I just this is a total social experiment, it's just fine. Can would every man in here raise up three fingers and show me the number three? That is so funny. How many of you guys are doing this? All right. How many of you guys are doing this? How many of you guys are doing this? All right. They say this: the smartest men, the cream of the crop, are those that when you ask them to show you the number three, they do this average men do this or this so I'm trying to train myself to do this all right because <laughs> I do this usually all right but that's just a neat fact but uh, the, the, you know opportunities when just because well, you ask the average person what do they do and they identify by saying I'm a doctor I'm a lawyer I'm a mechanic they they don't say uh, you ask them what they do and they the enemy has convinced them that What you do is what you are. And that is one of the greatest attacks against a person's identity that you will ever face. Because it totally takes everything and puts it in distortion that you're only as good as performance. Then it says the media gives us our identity. Interest. That's your desires. I want you to know something. If you allow desires to connect you with your identity, you're being set up by the enemy to live a lower level of life than God's ever intended for you to live. Let me say it to you like this. I'm a man. And I see attractive women places that I go. And if I allow the enemy to work through a desire, I could look at a woman and could lust after her. All right? All right? And the Bible says, if I lust after a woman in my heart, if I look at a woman to lust, not that you see them, but if you look at them to lust. So if you look twice, all right, that's how that works. um, Then you've committed adultery. But when you look at that woman and you don't jerk back, don't make your eyes go anywhere else, you consider yourself to be an adulterer just because you have the desire to look, not that you looked. Guess what would happen to my marriage in the future? It's a matter of time before I'm an adulterer. If I identify with an adulterer, I'm an adulterer. If I allow the enemy to put that on me. I'm saying that to say this. We live in a day now where people tell me that they got labels on them because of desires that they have. I'm gay. I'm trans. I'm binary. I want you to know something. You're not any of that unless you choose to be. Your desires don't make you. Your identity. If that were so, man, y'all wouldn't be here listening to me today because I have to fight temptation at all. You gotta understand there are voices that speak to you all the time. And the voices that speak to you all the time are God's voice. There's the enemy's voice, and then there's your voice. And this is how they say it. They say God's voice is always inspiration. The devil's voice is always temptation. Your voice is usually stupid. But you can weigh out who's speaking to you if you begin to listen to them that way. But interest don't determine who I am. Because if you were to ask Jennifer who I was according to my interest, she'd say, that's a boy and this dude on the planet. Because I watch a lot of history and documentaries and all that. Interest don't make you who you are. Appearance. Don't make you can't judge a book by its cover. The world says you can. The world says that. You know, if you're successful and rich, you'll dress it. The truth is this. I know a lot of broke, good-dressing people. But they're broke because they dress good. All right? The car you drive, the house, appearances. But the world says it's an identity stamper on you that makes you that by the way you look. All right? Self-expression. The way that you choose to... And then life experiences. These are the factors that the world say form... And you develop your identity out of Well, the problem with life experiences is a lot of people have a lot of good ones. But I want you to know something. Everybody has a lot of bad ones. The enemy makes sure that you've been through some stuff. The devil makes sure that people in your life have hurt, harmed, bothered, offended. The devil sets out all these things. And so if my identity that I am is attached to this, you need to know something. You'll never be anything more than what you are. The children of Israel, when they came into the promised land, ten of them, when twelve went into spy, two had an identity where God wanted it. Ten didn't. And this is what the ten said. We are like grasshoppers. And then this is what they said. In others' eyes, that we will be like grasshoppers to the giants. They thought other people's opinion actually made and qualified to be their identity. And I'm telling you, if the enemy has got you in this place of living, there's good news. The bad news is you're living a life lower than what God expected for you to live. He created you to live and he's called you to live. There's an opportunity for you to have a greater life than what you're in. The the good news is this, the devil's. Going to try to keep you there, but if you don't choose to stay there anymore, you can get out and God can change you. So that's what the world says that you are. So the problem with it is this whatever you believe is true. And all the voices that speak to us daily, they say this in the world we live in now. We have over 10,000 voices that speak to us on a daily basis. That's from billboards to radio to TV to people to, in our world. And the truth of the matter is, We are always constantly hearing voices coming at us. These voices the enemy uses to constantly try to change our identity. But the most predominant voice in our lives that changes our identity is our own. When we allow ourselves to tell us what we are, we have set ourselves into a place to fail of ever being anything that God is, that God's called us to be. And the thoughts that we think have the most transforming power on our life than anything else. If you think you're stupid, if you think you're a failure, if you think you're no good, if you think you're not worthy, if you think... And the problem with it is that voice that you think is on repeat, and it constantly, constantly, constantly plays inside of us. And scientifically, this is what I was Googling on. For every negative thought feeling, emotion, or experience you have, it takes five positive to overcome the one negative. And the truth of the matter is, at the point you usually are in your life, you've had more negative than you've had positive. So we start this thing in a major deficit, meaning that none of us are living what we could or what we were called or what we were created to be. But I want to tell you this. And God made you for a purpose. And God made you something amazing. And it doesn't matter what any other voice in your life has ever told you that you are. There's only one voice that has the power to change that and make you what you were created to be. And that's God's voice. And that's where we're picking up Gideon's life here. He had found himself coming out of a family that were losers, coming into a family that were losers. He was living a level of life that was a loser. So he had convinced himself when God showed up and told him that you're something amazing. Gideon argued with him. And this was his first argument. He says, where were you, God? Where are you? He says, where is the God of our forefathers? I mean, you guys have felt like that. God, where are you at? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you moving? God, why am I stuck in this dead-end job? God, why am I still living at this level? I want you to know something. That's okay for you to be there. It's just not okay for you to stay there. Let me tell you where God is. See, He said, God, where were you when the Midianites are But if you go to the top of that chapter, it said this, or verse 11 said this. It says, and the angel of the Lord was sitting under a tree. God was there the whole time. He was sitting under a tree. In my life, when I read this story, I would read that all of a sudden he was in there working and then poof, an angel said, here I am. But that's not what happened. If you read the story, it says, before it even mentioned what Gideon was doing, it says the angel was sitting under a tree watching A lot of times we want to put the monkey back on God's back saying that, you know what, God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you? Where are you? He says, his ex-words were the God of miracles. God, why are you not intervening and changing this situation? Aren't you seeing the way they're treating me? Aren't you seeing what's taking place? Why aren't you helping? Why aren't you healing? Why aren't you doing? Where are you, God? I can't see you. And the Bible says the angel was sitting there the whole time. Let me show it to you in the New Testament. The Bible said this. The Bible said the disciples were in a boat, rowing across the sea, and a great storm came upon the sea. And it says, And Jesus was up on a mountain praying. And it says, And He saw the disciples toiling at the rows all night. And it says, He came down and He was walking on the water. And it says this. You can look it up. It says, He would have passed them by, except they began to cry out. You're going to have to come to a point where you're sick and tired and being sick and tired. God is involved in your situation. He's involved in your life. But it's going to stay the way it is until you decide that it's not okay to be this way anymore. I'm not okay being less than what God's made me. I'm not okay being, uh, having an identity that shouldn't be. I'm not okay being less than what I was destined to be. you have to get sick and tired because God's already involved in your situation. God is just waiting on you to get involved. And this is what the Bible said. The Bible says that he said the angel was sitting there. And then, he, then when it says he appeared to him, that word appears, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, poof, he was already there. It says that it comes out of the Hebrew saying that. And then it was revealed, Gideon was revealed that the Lord was there. That got the whole situation set up for a Kairos moment. When you realize that God is here. When you realize this is just not another church service, when you realize this is not just another moment, when you realize this is not just another thing I'm going through, then you're setting yourself up for God to fix and to move that clock right. Whoa, okay. Hey, we're gonna go real fast on this, okay? So it says he he then he saw the angel. This is what the angel said. He said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, he called him what God called him. But Gideon couldn't hear what God said. He said, where was that God? I didn't see. If I was a mighty man of valor, why have I lost so much of my life? In the back of the why did not God made me, make him help me win? And this way says, I am the lowest of the Lord. So then the angel begins to work. And this is what the angel begins to do. The angel, begins, the angel called him by what he was, but the angel never showed him or prophesied what he was going to be. What he did was called out of him what God had created him. What he said here was this. He says, if you read on it, it says, go in your strength. You got to lay it out like this. There there are two you's that get to live. There's you that has been through what you've been through and is going through what you're going through and becoming what your circumstances are making you. Or there's the you in Christ. And the you in Christ totally changes everything. But you got to understand, you can't be what God's called you to be, unless you decide to be in Christ. Now, this is a weird concept because no one can tell you who you are. They say there's two great, two of the greatest days in your life. is one when you're born, and second day of your life is when you realize what you were born for. I say it like this. There's two great days in your life. The day that you were born and the day that you're born again. Because that's what takes place in your life when you get born again. You realize... What you were born for. You were never born to live this life without being connected and be living in Christ. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says in Acts, it says this In Him we have, or we, we live. In Him we live means your whole life, what your life contains of, is in Him. We move. The direction that your life goes in comes from being in Him. And we have our being, which is your identity, only can come from Christ. And any other place in your life that you get your identity is not who you are. So then you find yourself doing this. You trying to find yourself being a puzzle piece, trying to get put into a picture. That oh that was that's not. hold on, my notes are going to fall. I'm going to be all over the. Try to find yourself being a puzzle piece. Trying to fit into a picture of what God's got for your life, but it don't fit. Y'all puzzle piecers? Anybody puzzlers in there? All right, during the pandemic, my family got into puzzles. Lord, you have no idea what that does. All right? And so we have to teach them the strategy of puzzles and getting outside first. But you know what causes the biggest fight? When the girls realize the funnest part of the puzzle is putting in the last piece. Y'all do that? You do everything just to get to that moment. But then what my girls have learned now is this. When we open the box, they start taking a piece out and hiding it because they want to be the one with the last piece, but we do big puzzles like two thousand piece puzzles, and so they'll they'll have these Pieces for several days and then usually the piece gets lost. So when we work for several days to get the whole piece together, then all of a sudden we've got a hole in the puzzle that we can't find the piece for because they were trying to win in the first place. And then we can't get it. And so the picture can't be complete and they'll get to fighting and all, you know, and we i have learned this. You can't just go get another piece of a puzzle and put it in the hole. It won't fit. And even if you try to cut it, and make it fit. The picture is not complete. See, when you take your identity out of any other puzzle in life, and it's not the identity that comes out of Christ, no matter how hard you fight, it's never going to fit. So you have to understand, your identity in life is so important that your picture is not going to come together till you allow God to be the one that gives it to you. That's what it takes. It's not desire. Can I say this? Can I really get culturally with you? And I'm not, I'm not quoting myself. I'm quoting Tony, Cook, Tony Evans. Tony Evans said this. One of the biggest problems with our society is that we allow the color of our skin to determine our identity, even when it comes to being in Christ. He says it like this. He said, I am not a black Christian man. I am not. He said, anybody that identifies as a black Christian man always puts their race before who God said they were. Tony Evans said this, I am a Christian black man. I'm here to tell you, I'm not a white Christian man. I am a Christian white man. And the thing about it is this, it don't matter what white or black says if you're a Christian first. If my identity in Christ comes from Christ, don't matter what color my skin is, I'm still who God says I am. And that's, God, see, we've gotten into such a culture, but God is saying, I am the one that made you. I'm the one that cuts you into what you are. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, and I'm the only one that can tell you what puzzle you belong to that will put your whole life together. Amen. And so then we go through life, and this is the trick that the enemy uses, and this is important, and then I'm pulling, I'm not even preaching next week, so guys, alright. This is how he works. He'll use your best desires to bring you to a place where you don't even have an identity anymore. This is what the Bible says. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2. Do we got that? Y'all can, you can pull it up for me real quick. We're, on, we're closing. Look, we're on down to seven more pages. All right. This is how the devil works. In Genesis chapter 2, this is what it says. It says that, the Lord God planted in the Garden of Eastward of Eden, and there He put... A man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord, gave, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight of good and good for food. The tree of life. Everybody, get that in your head. Right, tree. If you're under underline this, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And then the word and. Y'all see the word and, All right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were two trees. You need to know this. There were two trees. All right. God put two very important trees here. And that one, that anytime there's two trees, that always brings up this point in your life. God has given you a choice to make. And then going down, it says this. It says, And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and, and tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you eat, eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you will eat and surely die. Now... He said, there's the tree of life. He put it in there for them. And he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat this one. Because if you do, you're going to die. Now, physically die? No. But their family began to be destroyed. Their marriage began to be destroyed. Their future, their destiny, their place, their home. Everything in their life began to die because of this. God put a tree in there that gave them life but they had to choose to go after the life that God gave them or go after the knowledge of good and evil. You know what I'm saying about this is this. When the devil came in, I'm just going to have to go through the words for you. you have to read it. The devil came in and said, Did God really say that if you eat of that tree that you would die? No, what God really meant was this. If you would eat of that tree, you will become like God. So he took a desire in Eve to be like God And used it against her and changed her identity. Now you gotta get this, because this is where most Christians never get free and never believe. He said, she wasn't wanting to sin, she wasn't going, wanting to go out and party, she was wanting to be like God. And the devil lied to her with that tree in front of her, saying, If you bite this tree, you will be like God. And this is how the devil works in a lot of our lives and keeps us bound. Because the knowledge of good and evil does not bring life. You can't get enough knowledge to get free from sin. You can't get enough knowledge. You can't know enough about God to be what God's called you to be. Knowledge will not do it. You can't get a long enough list of what not to do. To have the life that God wants you. What it's going to take is, it takes a relationship with life instead of just knowledge of good and evil. Because if people take their life and they put it in good and evil, this is what comes out of it. One, you'll spend your whole life having to perform do what the knowledge says you have to do before you can ever be what God's called you to be. And it takes your whole identity and makes it about what you do. That's called religion. And religion will cause you to be unhappy. How many cantankerous Christians do you know? The meanest people I know are saved. Do you know why? Because they have gone to the knowledge of God and the knowledge of way how to do things and the know- trying to get to be what God wants them to be. And God is saying, You don't gotta have that, you just gotta know me. I am life. Then he said so what happens is this one it, if we if we go after performance if you if it's after knowledge if you make the whole thing about knowledge what you can know and learn then it makes performance based and what performance based does then set you up for you fall short of God and say you're always trying to get God to like you or accept you you're always trying to do more or be more pray longer you remember years ago when the um, and I'm not knocking, but there's a ministry that came out about, could you not tarry one hour? You all remember that? Probably one of the greatest prayer ministries in the United States taught me to pray like in no other ministry. But what I did is what started off good, I was wanting to learn to pray. I wanted to pray like Jesus taught me. But then I found myself going through that, and then the enemy's selling, all right, you're learning to pray, you're learning to pray. And then instead of praying, I started watching the clock. Because I had to pray an hour or God wasn't happy. And then I found myself not able to pray an hour some days and then I'd feel like I'm failing so I'd have to tomorrow pray an hour and a half and just constantly be at this work and then constantly feeling like a failure when it came to the things of God. But see, God never said, get that. He said, that will destroy you. But you, the tree of life I give to you, what is that? The tree of life is your identity. So I'm going to jump forward and you say, Cricket, where do I get this thing? You get it the same place Gideon got his. Gideon, the Bible says, in that encounter with the Lord, the angel that day. This is what you got to realize. It says, number one, Gideon hadn't defeated any armies or destroyed or done. All Gideon did was decided what God said about me is true. Because this is what he said. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, then stay here while I go do this. He hadn't done anything yet. And the angel said, I'll be here. In other words, he found favor before he had done anything. And that God was willing to prove it to him by staying there. All right. So one, he realized what God said is true, even though I haven't done anything that way yet. That means I can only get my identity from what God says I am. Then secondly, this is what it says. It says that the angel, when he brought the food back, the power of God fell on it. God was willing to show his power. To Gideon. But then it says the angel disappeared. The angel was gone. Boom. But the next scripture says this. And the Lord said. Let me tell you the principle here. That took a man living a lower level. Than what he was called to live. To now being a mighty man of valor. Like God said. Was the angel showed up. There was an experience. A Kairos moment with the Lord. And what Gideon walked away with is when that moment was over, he had learned to hear God speak. The voice was still in his life, even though the angel's presence had gone. And God began to tell him what to do in his family's life to change their history. And God told him what to do, and he was still afraid. Bible says he was too afraid to go do it during the day, so he had to sneak around and do it at night. Hey, you ain't got it. Your know, courage is not not being afraid. Courage is just doing it afraid. You know, you do it in afraid anyway. You are walking out and doing what God's called you to do anyway. Believing what God said anyway, even though you don't feel it, and even though you don't see it, and even though, but you know God said it. And if God says that's what you are, that's what you are. There are eighty nine times in the New Testament that the word in Christ is used. There are seventy nine times in the New Testament that it says in Him is used. Thirty-six of those in Christ statements are statements about your identity. Thirty-six times God said this: In Christ, you are this. I don't care what you were before you were saved, but now that you're saved, in Christ, you are this. You may still talk that, but in Christ, you are this. It says, I can do all things not on my own, not any which way, not by what you think or what I've been, through, but through. Christ. It's in Christ. And if you want to be free, you're going to have to learn what God said about you. And it's not according to your what you have accomplished, it's not according to what you have done, your performance, your knowledge, or even your experiences with the Lord. All it comes to is that you come and say, God, who do you say that I am? And when He tells you, and you see, now how do you hear God's voice? Well, first, you have to be able to get in, would never have heard God if he had not have seen the angel of the Lord. So you're never going to know who you are in Christ until you get in the word and see who God said you are. And then when you walk away from that page, the Bible says that if we look in the word and we remember we walk away and we forget you look in the word. So when you walk away, God can speak to you at that moment and tell you you are who he said you are. It's his voice. In your life, that changes it all. I'm here to tell you this morning, God's not telling you what you're thinking about yourself. God loves you. He accepts you. First Peter tells us five things, five of the most important things about you. That you are, one, he says you are loved. Not loved if, not loved because, but you are eternally loved forever. And there's nothing you can do to mess that up. Next, it says that you are accepted and chosen. You're His favorite. I'm going to tell you a secret. Just like I'm my mom's favorite, you're God's favorite. He likes you more than me. He likes me more than you. That's how much God loves you. You're accepted. You're capable is what He teaches us. That you get didn't tell He didn't say I will do it. Go out and do this thing. He didn't tell Gideon in your with me. I will strengthen you and you'll do it. No, He says in the strength that you have go out and do you are capable God has made you everything you need to be but you have to hear God's voice you say well cricket I don't know how bow your head close your eyes real quick we're going to do this and I'm going to give you a chance to challenge the lies the enemy has set you in I'm going to ask you a question I simply want you to repeat the question I ask and then listen you ready say God do you love me all right, look, how many of you guys felt, sensed, knew, saw, or just had a piece of yes? All right, God just spoke to you. You say, nah, cricket, I knew that. I know you did. You know why I know you did? Because God's been telling you that every single day of your life. Every single day. He's been telling you that. Now you have to choose to believe it. Close your eyes by your head. Say, God, are you mad at me? Look at me real quick. How I many felt, since, heard, no, a yes? I mean, a yes. How many of you guys felt, since, heard, or knew a no? See, when you look in a mirror or you think about what you've done, the devil tells us God's mad at you. You've been hearing God speak. You've been hearing God speak. So I feel I, I wouldn't do this because I, I, I feel like I do this a lot, but I feel like the Lord's just telling me somebody in here is challenging whether that is God or not. Let me show you how foolish it can be For you to challenge Whether it's God's voice You've all seen it If you've been around me I use this all the time Because everybody The devil always tries to convince People that are not hearing God I'm trying to pull up my phone And it ain't doing what I want it to do Maybe sound book Pull up FedEx if you can guys Real quick If you can do it quicker than me For some reason Somebody's blocking my phone Alright boom Let's go this way Oh, there we go. Works on a sailor. I just feel. I just felt the Lord say somebody's challenging, not believing that's my voice. So I got to show you to you at another level. All right. Just because you can't see it, don't change the fact that it is. You need to know this. This logo right here, everybody's seen it a million times in their lifetime because of the day we live in. This logo was built with a subliminal message right in the middle of it. And it's an arrow. There's an arrow saying we're going somewhere. They designed the arrow first. Then they designed the logo around it. Do you guys see the arrow? Do you see it? Raise your hand if you see it. If you've seen it before, that's all you see. Raise your hand if you don't see it. all right. I'm going to show it to you. Do you see it? see it? It's right in the middle. Think thing about it, it's been there the whole time. The whole time. Your whole life. You didn't know that's what started the logo unless somebody told you. Only one in twelve people can see it naturally on their own. It's a subliminal message that's been embedded here. But now that you see it, try to look at it without seeing it. That's how God's voice works. Once you recognize... This is God speaking. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, a little boy, God said something. He thought it was somebody else. God said something. He thought it was somebody else. God said something. And Finally, somebody had to say, listen, what you're hearing is God's voice. And when God speaks, respond to God. Don't come trying to find out who's trying to tell it to you. And he went back and lay down. And that was the last time in the Bible. Samuel was ever represented as a servant boy. He was only mentioned as a prophet of God. You will not find your identity until you hear God speak. But God's been speaking to you your whole life and He's been calling you what you are. When you decide to be sick and tired of being sick and tired and you'll look over and realize God's been here the whole time and He has nothing but good to say about you, you get in the Word and see the 36 things He says your identity is and you step back and say, I don't care what anything else looks like. I am who God said I am. Then, freedom begins to happen. Kairos begins to be released. And you begin, Gideon from that day on, walked out, and defeated the enemy at every turn. Bible says there was even time 100,000 men came at him and he had a group of 10,000 that would have been safer to fight with. But he was such a man of God. God had created him to be such an amazing thing that he didn't need but 300. So he sent all the rest home and God gave him a great victory. You can do all things through Christ. You just got to know who Christ made you. And I'm going to close with this. I know I'm long, but you got. This is the. This is one of the, embedments, of what, your freedom will be connected to. If you can believe, you are, who God said you are. Got a short video here. It's called the Father's Love Letter. Most people can't pray, because when they pray, they have to pray the way Jesus taught us. Which says, "Our Father, which art in heaven." And our identities are so wrapped into and connected to our earthly fathers. And our earthly fathers were such failures at fathers that we can't understand that anything good could come from a father. But I want you to know, God is the father of all fathers. And that's where your real identity comes from. And you're going to have to set any disappointment that fathers have put in your life aside and realize that you have a father above all fathers, a real father. And he's everything that you wish your father was, but wasn't able to do. But he's here and available now. And he has something to say about you. This next video, is has it's, it's nothing but scriptures. It's just scriptures. And I want you to be conscious and aware that when this plays, when the scripture is said and it touches something on the inside of you and it challenges a belief system in you, that no, you kind of blow it off or you feel insecure, you feel guilty or you have an emotional response of any way, whether it be indifference, because let me tell you what should come out of this scripture reading. is great. I've watched it, I'm telling you. Probably 70, 80 times. I still can't watch it without tears coming down my face. Do you know why? Because I had a Kairos moment. And I realized what God said about me is true. And so in this, the sign one of the signs you can tell in an area you need freedom is, is the areas that you have an emotional response in that doesn't move you. Because God is always moving you closer to Him. The devil's wanting you to... But Do you know Adam and Eve was already like God before they had to try to start being like God? Because the devil lied to them about who they were. But God had to tell them who they were by sending Jesus. So this is it. Take out a pen and write down the scripture that the enemy has touched you with or tried to fight you with that keeps you from believing that you are who God said you are. And then this is your homework this week. Everywhere you go, you quote the scripture in your mind. And you think about it day or night so you can become like a tree planted by the river of water who bears fruit in its season, who leaves do not wither. And everything you do prospers is what it says. So here's your homework. Listen to God and take hold of it and believe it and think it until it's true.